You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Tack ran as fast as his legs could propel him, his heart pounding in his chest. It had happened at last. Just as he had begun to forget about them, the bully Joe and his friends from Freshman Friday had spotted Tack on his way to District 19 after school and decided to finish what they'd started. Tack knew that he could beat them to the barrier, but this time the three bullies were willing to follow, having seen Tack go over the fence and live to come back again. They wasted no time in scrambling over after Tack. Tack still had a decent lead, but his chest was now burning with every step. Skidding around the corner, Tack had never been gladder to see Omasi sitting there at his lemonade stand, in his usual pose, book in hand with his feet up on the table. He didn't know how he knew that Umasi would be able to help, but Tack was somehow confident that Umasi could solve any problem. Umasi, you've got to help me, Tack panted, running up to the table. Umasi put his book down and raised an eyebrow. What's the matter? Bunch of jerks chasing me, Tack gasped, pointing to the street corner he had just rounded. Why would they be doing that? Umasi inquired. Because they're jerks, Tack almost yelled in frustration, wondering why Umasi wouldn't appreciate the urgency of the situation. Isamu Fukui is a 17-year-old senior at Stuyvesant High School in New York. He's just published his first novel, Truancy. Thank you for joining me, Isamu. My pleasure to be here. This is a fascinating book, but equally fascinating is the story behind the book. Tell me about your early history as a reader and a writer. When did you first twig to the joys of reading? I mean, what made you read? I've been reading as far as long as I can remember. Ever since I was in kindergarten, people have told me that I was reading things several years ahead of my age. But I'd never really been interested in writing until I was 12 years old. What sort of things were you reading before that when you were reading more advanced stuff? And why did you like it? Uh, for instance, in uh, kindergarten and first grade, I was really enchanted by the Redwall series. Those are a series of novels by a British author named Brian Jacks. They feature a, a animal characters. And there's a lot of war, there's a lot of action, but it's since the characters are all animals, you can get away with doing things in a children's book that you really couldn't do if you used humans. Did you read any other uh, like young reader books, or, or did you go directly to reading adult books? I read everything that interested me. An example of a children's series I really liked was Animorphs. You've probably heard of that. Yeah, so yes. it's, it, it was, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And during this time, too, did you watch a lot of TV or, or you know, play video games when you were, were young? Oh, yeah. I still play video games today. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> uh, what got you interested in writing? I mean, if you've just been a consumer of, of books so far, what, what made you decide to become a creator of books? That's a very interesting story. When I was 12 years old, I wandered into a Barnes & Noble, and I found a book, well, a sort of book called Return of the Shadow. Um, it was actually a collection of J.R.R. Tolkien's notes from when he was writing Lord of the Rings. And when I opened that book up, it was my first glimpse uh, into the mind of an author. And what I saw just simply blew me away. What in particular blew you away? I mean, you've read the books. Why would the writing of the book be any interest to you? Because I saw how it began from a small idea and evolved into pretty much the, the definitive fantasy story of our time. The book opens, I believe, with a letter Tolkien wrote to his friend about how his son wanted a sequel to The Hobbit, how he didn't have any real hopes for the project, but he was going to go and try it anyway. And we all know how it ended up. And 
seeing that, how it began as a whim, really, uh, it really fascinated me. And I saw how each draft evolved, how the ideas fell into place as he was going along. And just seeing that creative process really, really impressed me. And I said, I want to be able to do this. And so what did you do to enable yourself to do this? What came next? Um, I started just writing for fun. Just like I'd read for fun, I would write for fun. I started off by doing fan fiction for my favorite video games. I'd go online, I'd post stories, uh, along with tons of other anonymous authors. What video games? For instance, I was a big fan of Warcraft. And and so you'd write uh, short stories set in the Warcraft world? Yeah. And when you wrote these stories, did you... You posted them online. Did you get any reaction to them? Oh, yeah. Um, that's the way the, uh, the websites are set up. Um, it, they're set up so you can critique others. Uh, you could get feedback yourself. It was, it was really just a lot of fun for me. Did, did people like your stories when you posted them online? <laughs> yes. <laughs> what, what sort of stories did you post in, in the Warcraft world? Tell, tell us a little bit about what a Warcraft uh, world fan fiction story might be like. And explain a little bit more about the world of fan fiction, because many people might not know much about this. Well, the Warcraft world is a fantasy world. And back then, since, uh, of course, my interest in writing um, stemmed from Tolkien's notes, I was very interested in fantasy. A lot of what, most of what I wrote was fantasy, and I was drawn to that genre. So that, that was a perfect match for me, perfect place to begin. And additionally... Well, about the fan fiction scene itself, you, you get a lot, a lot of crap. I must say that. It, it, since anyone can post it, there's no real like standards at all. So a lot, a lot of what you see there is terrible. Because of that, fan fiction gets kind of a bad rap, I think. But at the same time, um, since there's tons and tons of stuff out there, there's some stuff that's actually also really impressive, too. And so you began to contribute to this fan fiction. What made you want to take it to the next level, and what next level did you decide to take your writing to? And and now you were in school at this time. Did you show your fan fiction to your teachers? No, not really. Uh, it, it was just something for me to do as a hobby. It was a side thing. Um, it was it was sort of a means of escape from my problems. Well, what were your problems at this time? You're 12, 13 years old. Um, I was writing fan fiction uh, all the way up until, I think, um, eighth grade. And in seventh and eighth grade, I was having a very, very unhappy time at school. And um, writing then was in my means of escaping from my problems. Um, what be- what made me want to take it to the next level, I think, was uh, at first it was just a curi- curious interest. And that didn't go well because um, I just tried writing a fantasy novel one day. Um, I got a couple hundred pages into it uh, and I decided it wasn't good enough. So I scrapped it. I didn't have much conviction in that project, I think. Uh, what made things different when I was writing truancy was I began to see writing not as a means of escape, but as a means of empowerment. Would you mind talking a little bit about the, your, your school life that you wrote to escape or, and or empower yourself from, with? Uh, when I was in 7th and 8th grade, um, I was still at my old school. Um, I was not very popular there. I had a lot of enemies. Um, I was getting beat up uh, in the hallways. Um, there was I, I wasn't getting along with my teachers. It was it was just a miserable time in general, and I didn't feel like I fit in in any respect. Now, now you're clearly a, a, a smart young man. Some, you know, highly highly intelligent. Uh, how were you doing in school? How how did you react to school? Did you enjoy your classes and enjoy the challenges that you had in those classes? Not at all. Um, I felt it like it was something forced upon me. Um, the teachers were overbearing. Um, everything was 
really revolved around the test and around averages. I didn't feel that it was at all, and I still don't believe that it's an environment where creativity or independent thought is cultivated. And, and that actually comes out as one of the, the big themes in, in your novel, Truancy. When you started writing Truancy, what made you decide to, to take this new tack uh, <laughs> on, on <laughs> fiction? Um, well, one of the things uh, that struck me was uh, looking around in, in the bookstores that I would visit and looking around on the bookshelves. I never saw a story where the dark side of school was portrayed. Everything was really sugar-coated or made into a personal story. Nothing really directly addressed the worst parts of school. And I thought that that was something that should be done and something that hadn't been done. So you are you want to address the dark side of school. How did you decide to start writing a novel? I mean, not, why not just write short stories or get in on the school newspaper and try to affect change in that manner? Well, first of all, I was never really interested in uh, journalism. Um, I'm, I'm a creative writer, not really a journalist. And what made me want to write the book was in seventh and eighth grade, I started by just jotting down notes about things that were bothering me. At that time, I didn't actually have the idea of putting it into a book yet. Only when I moved to my new school in ninth grade um, did I take all of those notes and actually decide to put it into a novel. Let's talk a little bit about the difference between these two schools. I think it's uh, uh, germane to the creation of, of this book. In seventh and eighth grade, you are in a, uh, just a general purpose public school, and you weren't really thrilled with it. Am, am I correct in this? Um, I was at Hunter College Elementary School. It's considered academically quite good, actually, and I would agree that the academic programs there are above average. Um, I didn't. Get, I, I when I transferred to my new school, I found I was getting along better with the students there. But what I found was I was still not comfortable with the system. And I realized it wasn't just a matter of which school I was attending. I had a fundamental problem with the educational system in general. And so you decided to take it on in a fictional manner and make notes in the side margins of your homework. Which uh, yeah, that was, that was my way of dealing with it. Did that, I can't imagine that enamored your teachers of you. <laughs> um, I tried not to let them know, as you might imagine. Uh, so... Here you are. You're you're in ninth grade. You're 15 years old at this point. Yes. A and you decided that you want to start writing a novel. I mean, you've already written one, 200 pages of one fantasy novel. That's really a lot for somebody so young. That's a huge project. When you undertook that, what made you think you could write a fantasy novel? <laughs> well, um, I had an idea, and I had some measure of writing talent by that point, of course. Um, and I decided, why not? Just try it. And I went for it, and I decided after a few hundred pages that it just wasn't good enough. I'm th I like to think that I'm my own harshest critic. And if I don't think it's good, then I don't want anyone to read it. When you wrote this fantasy novel, how did you go about doing it? Did you just start on page one, once upon a time, so to speak, and then go through to page 200? Or did you uh, have some kind of... Uh, procedure? Did you like sketch out who the characters were or what the action was going to be? I definitely sketched things out beforehand. I tried to sketch out the entire universe, actually, and sort of flesh it out so I knew where I was going. But um, I think my attempts to envision the universe were, were good, but my attempts to put that on paper were not. When you were creating this universe, did you do it like a database or a series of notes or, or like I've seen many, you know, descriptions of fantasy worlds, you know, kind of the guide to uh, Warcraft, for, for example? 
I, I had some pretty extensive material done. I mean, I was at one point I was even down to writing about the flora and fauna in the world. Wow, <laughs> that's that that's pretty extensive. So, this book, uh, Truancy, is a very different. It's not fantasy, and I really can't say it's exactly science fiction because there's not any technological uh, changes. I would agree with that, yeah. It, it's just, a, I would consider it more a, a parable. It's a dystopian novel, really, I think. It's got a lot more in common with, say, 1984 than it does with Star Wars. How did you decide to come about writing this novel? I mean, did you, again, did you uh, sketch out what the universe was? And this is a very limited universe, really. It's set in, in the city. Um, like I said, this one was not a means of escaping from my problems, but it was really born from my problems and meant to address them. So I wanted to be very grounded in reality. And a lot of what's in the book, both in events and in setting, were drawn from my own life. Did you start out with an outline and uh, character sketches and try to figure out what the what the confines of the city were, or did you just start on page one? I did prepare an outline beforehand, but what was really interesting for me was that the story was shifting as I went along. So uh, there was a bit of improvisation there, too. How did you uh, discipline yourself to to write this novel? When and where, under what circumstances did you write this? Did you write this while you were going to school? That seems like a lot of work for, especially... With the, if your if your work as a student was as overloaded as the students are in your school, uh, I that's that's that was an issue for me. I knew that I would not be able to write it during the school year, so that was out um, because I was just way too stressed. It it couldn't be done. So what I did was I prepared the outline during the school year, and then during my summer, during one month of my summer, I wrote the entire book. You wrote in the, in this entire novel, which is is not short. It's four hundred plus pages in one in one month. Yes, one chapter a day for one month. And so you kept to this this uh, uh, discipline. How did you learn to discipline yourself to write like that? Well, uh, I went up to Maine for vacation uh, with the rest of my family. We do that almost every year. And while I was up there, instead of going out to like do fishing or hiking or whatever, I just stayed in a room and had my. Uh, brother's laptop. I didn't have a laptop of my own back then. I took my brother's laptop and I just wrote day and night. And, and how long? How long each day did you write? And and did you set like word limits, or did you just kind of map out what you hoped to accomplish in each chapter? Uh, I definitely mapped out, but I also tried to keep around fifteen pages per chapter if I could, because I didn't want to do something too short or too long. But at the same time, I wouldn't restrict myself based on that. Um, once the story that needed to be told in that chapter was told, I was done. So it varied from day to day. And when you were writing this, did you tell anybody what you were doing? I, did you tell the kids that I'm going to write a dystopian novel about how horrible our school is? Uh, I think I mentioned it once or twice, but I tried not to like uh, make a big deal out of it because at that point, I still wasn't sure if I, was be, if I would be able to do it or not. And how did the the other kids react? Uh, most of them surprisingly took me at my word, and they seemed impressed. Well, it's, this sounds like a, a much more uh, a high school, much more amenable than your previous one. Did you have uh, problems with bullying and some of the you know interacting with the kids that you had at your previous school at this new school? No, um, I get along with the kids at my new school a lot better. I think that's in part due to the much larger student body there. Uh, there's 3,000 students at my current school, and I believe there was something around only 400 at my old one. So it was a big difference. So you're a little bit, you feel a little bit happier in a more anonymous situation? 
Uh, I think it's it's more a matter of with 3,000 students around, you're sure to find people you get along with. And the people you don't get along with, you don't really have to see. But you're still not necessarily thrilled with the school if I take this book as any uh, guide. Uh, no, no, I'm not. Uh, like I said, I have a fundamental problem with, edu- with the educational system in general. Um, I do have specific gripes about each school, but um, those are outweighed, I think, by my fundamental dislike of how things are run in education. Now, you have done pretty well by education. I mean, you've won some awards in writing competitions. Could you talk about winning those awards? Didn't that add, give some compensation or some feed, good positive feedback for you as a, as a writer and make you think, well, maybe this school is worth something? Actually, uh, that's, that's another interesting thing. When I, um, at the National Gold Award I won in the Scholastic Art and Writing Competition, I won when I was in eighth grade back at my old school. And I did not enter that competition with the help of the school at all. Um, as a matter of fact, I recall that in that particular class, um, the teacher at first didn't really seem to think much of me at all. Um, what he did was he assigned a personal essay um, at the beginning of uh, the school year, and the students uh, all wrote about themselves. I'm not usually comfortable about writing my, myself, so my essay wasn't very good, and I freely admit that. But it wasn't a creative writing thing, uh, thing which was my specialty. And he took a look at it. Um, I could tell he just wrote it off and then uh, picked students to enter competitions. Um, and I remember being sort of uh, shocked that I wasn't on that list of people he wanted to enter a competition. But at the same time, I realized by his teaching standards, um, I wasn't a very good writer. But at the same time, I knew I was a good writer. So I actually entered that particular competition independently. It had nothing to do with school. Um, I I never got the impression that school ever recognized what I was worth until I proved it. Well, now, you wrote this novel truancy in a month. You, you finished it, and, and you were happy with it then, right? Yes. Uh, what, what, what did you do next? Where, where did you take it next, or what happened next to bring it to press? Uh, after I finished writing truancy, um, I actually did not uh, immediately want to publish it. It was more of a personal project uh, to prove to myself that I could do it, and I guess maybe to prove it to others, but it, writing, getting published wasn't my intention from the outset. Um, and uh, originally I told my parents that they weren't allowed to read it because writing for me was a very personal thing. Um, however, one night uh, I saw the light on in my father's bedroom, and I thought that was odd because it's usually not on. And so I walked in, found him hiding something under his pillow, and I said, hey, what's that? And uh, he said, it's nothing. And I said, you're not reading my book, are you? And he's like, no. And then I said, well, then turn it over. And it, uh, I, indeed, he was reading my book. And that was, that was um, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't pleased with that. But at the same time, but because he read it, uh, he realized that it was worthy of publication in his view. Um, and so I guess that's what started it. Um, and then he took the book, showed it to a friend of his who is also an author, and uh, that friend thought it was good. And then that friend passed it on to his agent, and the agent thought it was good, and so the agent took me on as a client. Your father's a, a well-known artist. Uh, could you talk about growing up in a house where your parents earn a living by a rather unorthodox occupation if he does indeed earn his living through art? 
Uh, yeah, he does. One, 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 I suppose, an unfortunate side effect of that is I think I become numb to painting in general. I mean, I see him doing it all the time. I see the paintings everywhere. In order to get to my room, I have to walk through a big studio full of paintings. So, I don't know. I've, I've never really had an attraction to artwork, even though that's what my father does. And as you were writing, going through this process of becoming a writer, you were doing something was happening to you that rarely happens to people between the time they write their first sketchy novel and the time they uh, land an agent, which is you were growing up and undergoing physical changes. Could you talk about how maybe some of the physical changes that you experienced and are experiencing even as we speak uh, have changed you as a writer? Um, I assume you're uh, referring to puberty? Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, well, I don't feel dramatically different today than I did back then, but I suppose um, it subconsciously affects everyone, I, I guess, and I think that shows through in the book. Um, even though something I hear commonly is that if you don't know the age of the author, you can't tell that it was written by a teenager, I think that's more a referendum on the quality of the writing rather than the themes you find in there. And a lot of the themes, I think, are things um, you can identify with the teenage years. Let's talk a little bit about the book. Once you got an agent, did did your agent want you to change it, or or how? What happened next in terms of the the composition of the book? You must have had some feedback, and maybe not all of it positive. How did you take that? Um, I realized that the book wasn't perfect. I realized that there was uh, a lot of areas of improvement. The agent, the uh, the only thing my agent really complained about was uh, how long it was. Um, he said it might have to be shortened, but he didn't really think that it needed any editing before it went. Uh, to the publishers. And uh, when my editor got it, her hands on it, um, she also agreed that it could use some shortening. Um, and I agreed because er I actually did not mind the editing process at all. Um, my editor is very understanding. Um, she's great to work with. Uh, she doesn't try to rush in there and do things that I'm not, uh, that I want to prove of. She points out areas that might be improved, uh, asks me what I think, and then I fix it or I don't agree and then I don't fix it. It depends. It's it's a really it's a it's a cooperative effort. As you went through this cooperative effort, did you find that your vision either of the material itself or the feel your feelings about school at, at were undergoing any changes as a result of the the way your your fiction was being changed? Uh no, no. Everything was absolutely um true to my vision and true to my story. Um the only uh, the only changes were to make the story tighter, um, to make it better, and make it more focused. Um, there was there was nothing omitted that I did not want originally in there. And so we have here a, a, a wonderful little dystopian tale. It's almost a parable. It reminds me in many ways of some of the uh, better episodes of the, the the Twilight Zone, because there's a, a certain simplicity here. Uh, with the way you've decided to name your characters, the, the way you've created this world. Could you talk about creating a world that's somewhat generic on purpose, clearly on purpose, and, and mm -hmm. why did you create the world in this manner and why not just set it in New York? Uh, I definitely wanted it to be pretty vague as to where or when it was. Um, it's, it may or may not even be our world. That's, that was my intention from the outset. I wanted it so that people might recognize elements of our world, 
and might even come to feel that it's the, they, that they're living in a dark side city version of their city or wherever they go or their school. So I wanted to really ground it in reality, but at the same time, I think it was meant to be an uh, meant to highlight the worst parts of our society. If you filter out all of the good parts, I think what you find is uh, very similar to what you get in truancy. I mean, if you take the worst parts of our educational system, uh, the worst parts of the teachers you know, uh, you'll get something very much like our wor- uh, the world portrayed in truancy. Uh, one of the things I think that is is pretty effective about the way you've created this setting is that by calling everything the city and the mayor, there these generic terms are sort of dehumanizing in the way that clearly you intend us to perceive school as dehumanizing. Yeah, I, th- I think that's correct. Um, I liked, I, I, some people ask me why I didn't include last names for the characters. I just didn't think that they needed them. There's no real sense of family in this city. Everything revolves around the educational system. Everything revolves around school. And like I said, I wanted to make it uh, portray the extremes. I wanted to show the absolute worst parts of school and of education. And to do that, I just didn't have a use for any of the other stuff. And there's also, as I say, a, a certain feeling of parable and, and fable. Did you, were there any parables or, or fables or Greek myths or anything like this that you were thinking of along the lines of when you read this? Or, I mean, even Joseph Campbell. Did you Had you read Joseph Campbell? Uh, no, I hadn't, actually. Like I said, uh, the biggest influence came from my own life. Experiences I'd seen, people I've met, places I've been, those are the things that really made their way into the book. Let's talk about creating the city. Because even though it's kind of generic, there, it's, it's a real definite setting. And there are some uh, parallels, of course, with New York City, with the surrounded by the river. And there's this also has you've talked about how this is a vision of what's worst, and there's a visions of, of you know a breakdowns of society. Where were you in uh, on 9/11, 2001? I was in school um, at Hunter. I was in sixth grade. Did did that change the way that you looked at the world, and did that creep into this novel? Uh, on that day, uh, there was a lot of confusion. Um, my school doesn't even have windows in the classrooms. Uh, I mean, my old school. It didn't have windows in the classrooms. The teachers wouldn't really tell us anything. We heard that a plane hit the building, and after that, we just sat there in the dark pretty much. When I was taken home by my parents, um, I, we had to go on foot, and I saw the ruins. Um, it's a day I don't think anyone really forgets once once they've seen it um, or if they've been there. Uh, but at the same time, uh, that's not what was front and center uh, in my mind when I was writing Truancy. It was not meant to be uh, a ref- uh, It was not meant to reference terrorism necessarily. Um, although some people have pointed out that there could be parallels there, that's that was not deliberate. Um, it was not meant to. Uh, it was not meant to reference nine eleven. No. Could you talk about how you created the bureaucracy that runs the schools? Um, I think that in, I, I've never, uh, of course, as a student, I'm not part of the uh, school administration. But from what I've seen, um, that's uh, that's pretty much how how some things look, how how uh, how the school administration looks like to a student's perspective. Cold calculating and with uh, 
the administration's priorities in mind and not those of the students. So you feel that to be true right now, even though you're at one of the premier schools in the United States? Absolutely. Could you describe this bureaucracy? Because we have the mayor and the educators. And and when I read the word educators, I think, well, these are going to be like teachers. And that's not the case. Uh, Well, in school, if you're called to the office uh, or if a teacher complains, the assumption is always that the student is wrong and the teacher is right, irregardless of the facts. That's the fundamental idea that goes down. And I can see why it makes sense from an administration's perspective. Uh, You don't want to upset the staff. They're working there. You have to pay them, and uh, you have to keep them happy. The students, you don't have to keep happy. So it's really, I can see where where they're coming from. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that I'm happy with it. Um, So in your book, the mayor is at the top of the city. Absolutely. He's essentially a dictator. Yes, and beneath him, on the second level beneath him, are, are these educators. And what, what are, who are the educators and what is their job in, in the world of your book? The educators pretty much run the city from every, uh, at every level. Um, they govern uh, in general. There's, high, there's high-ranking educators. And then there's low-ranking educators, the ones who manage each school individually. They're separate from the teachers. Uh, the teachers are employ, employed by the educators. But the educators are pretty much every government official at every level. And they're complemented by the enforcers and disciplinary officers as well. Yes. The enforcers are the ones who go out on the streets, who are armed, who are trying to instill uh, peace or order, the ones who try to keep all the citizens and students in line. And then the disciplinary officers are educators who are put solely in charge of punishing students who uh, step out of line. So you see a lot of uh, parallels between essentially uh, a very fascist police state and the school system in your book and in reality. Um, Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment to make. Like I said, I'm taking the absolute worst parts of what I've seen about and what I believe to be true about education. Uh, I I suppose you could uh, say that the uh, the enforcers are the worst parts of the police force. And uh, the disciplinary officers are the worst parts of the teachers you know. This is told mostly from, entirely actually, from, from Attack's point of view, your main character, Attack. He's kind of a normal student. He's overworked. His sister is, is a girl named Susie, and they're just trying to keep ahead of, of the curve, and it's a lot of work to do so. Uh, could you talk about writing, showing readers, one of the things I think this book does quite well is to show readers the inside the mind uh, of a teenager who's overworked, bullied, and just basically ramrodded through a system that doesn't care whether what it does to the people it's working on. Well, I wanted an, uh, to start off with a very ordinary protagonist who I think that a lot of students would be able to relate to. At first, there's not much that's remarkable about him. He's got a very level personality, and he's going through what a lot of other students around him are going through as well. And I think uh, that also applies to students in real life. Um, I wanted them to be able to associate with him so that they would be more invested in his journey as he goes from absolutely insignificant to a remarkable person in his own right. This book has a lot of violence. That a lot of the, our, our level-headed hero is pretty rapidly transformed into a cold-blooded killer. 
and, and this is uh, again a 15 year old student and he at, at various points in the book he's lobbing grenades and, and gunning people down and throwing knives and slitting throats and severing limbs and heads uh, when you wrote this I mean, I've read many stories in the newspaper of kids who write material that's pretty much just like this. And when the teachers or the administration gets wind of it, they basically lock them up, pretty much like you'd expect them somebody to lock them up in your novel. Were you afraid this would happen to you, that somebody would look at you and say, this is the, a disturbed mind he needs to be dealt with? No, because I think that uh, anyone who's actually read the book um, and paid attention to the context would realize that the violence there is not gratuitous. Um, it has a purpose, it has a reason, and it's placed into proper context. This is not uh, a someone going on a massacre of innocents. Um, these are soldiers lining up on a battlefield and fighting for ideals. Violence, of course, in general is never, I don't think, the answer. And I think I do a good job in truancy of showing that it's not the answer. But at the same time, um, this is a war that's going on in the story, and war has certain realities, and killing is one of them, and it had to be included. At the same time, um, I didn't exactly go uh, showing this to every teacher that I had, but but I I don't think that the violence there um, is is as bad as you make it out to be. Uh, Of course, everything you just mentioned does happen in the book, but like I said, there's a context for it. Um. There is a context for it. One of the things I think that's very interesting, and I wanted to ask you about this, there's a kind of an uneasy mix here between a look at violence in schools and a kind of a bad reaction to some of the procedures we've seen in the instituted in the last few years since 9-11 with Homeland Security. And you do have a really nice thing with some diseases that are whenever something goes wrong. A, a new disease pops up. Could you talk about that and have some of the strictures, you know, the the losses of liberty that we've uh, real have act, in actuality undergone since nine eleven? Did that inform the writing of this book? Um, at my school, in my opinion, uh, my principal has openly used nine eleven as a reason to ramp up security and to restrict student freedoms. Um, he makes reference to it every time that students complain. And I don't think that it, all of his answers are logically uh, make sense. Um, and so I think that it has been used, at least in the educational system. Um, I'm not prepared to comment on our government in general as, a, as an excuse, really, to uh, restrict freedoms and to ramp up security. I think that also at the same time, increasing security, is, as, as a school administration seem to understand it, is counterproductive. When they think security, they mean adding more uh, guards, putting scanners in place, bringing in metal detectors even. I don't think any of that actually makes students safer because realistically, they're all very easy to bypass. And also, uh, what they, all they do really is uh, inspire further discontent. I think that if people were really interested in preventing school violence, they would more work more to identify uh, students who are unbalanced for one reason or another. Um, for instance, at Virginia Tech, the shooter there uh, had a history of mental illness. People around him and people who knew him were disturbed by him. And I think that there were warning signs there that could have been identified. Uh, putting on blanket security by having, by having scanners at the door or by bringing in metal detectors or having uh, increased security guards or restricting student freedoms, these things don't make students safer. They make them unhappy. 
you have a, do have an interesting vision of the school system. And, and there's one point where uh, it's uh, Yumasi, I believe, uh, talks about uh, the um, how none of the things that you do in school are, are uh, things you ever learn, use again. Of course, you and one thing you do learn in school is how to sit at a desk all day, which is what you will presum- presumably be doing for the rest of your life. Um, I think that's what school wants you to be doing for the rest of your life. I think that there are, are greater possibilities than what they offer. And at this, but at the same time, I don't really think that forcing every student to learn math or to every student to learn a wealth of science uh, outside of the basics, of course, is really productive because not every student wants to go into those areas when they uh, become an adult. If that's why they allow majors in college. I think that students should be granted more control over their education and more choice. Otherwise, it's absolutely something that's just forced upon them. Um, it's a mass production uh, method, and that works with machines, but it doesn't work with people. In your vision, school is a system designed to create failures who will not question their inability to succeed or blame it on the system that created them. Absolutely. I think that statement speaks for itself. It- could you discuss that a little bit more for me? Uh, how, do you, how do you see this system, and, and when did you yourself realize, come to that vision, and then why did you write about it? Well, I think a lot of it stemmed from uh, realizing that I myself, I knew that I, I myself was not as bad as my grades or my teachers would tell me I was. And I think that writing the book was a means of proving that. And while I was proving that, I also wanted to explicitly state it in there, that this is what I think, I don't agree with it, and I'm not. I'm. I'm going to stick out. The other side of all this school and the dictatorship is the truancy. These are are not just people who are ditching school, are they? No. Uh, some of them were kicked out of school. Uh, these are the person people who don't fit in with the system, uh, who the system has rejected, or or people who have rejected the system. They don't get along. They they uh, they know what's up, um, and they unfortunately decide to take up arms against the system because they see it as the only way of solving the problem. And does does that does the violence solve the problem? Uh, absolutely not, no. Um, in, in the story, I think I'm very clear on uh, that violent, that the escalating cycle of violence only results in mutual ruin. But at the same time, in a society that's as completely bad as the one I portrayed in Truancy, there simply may not be an alternative for those people. Like I said, it's the worst of all possible worlds. Uh, could you comment on cycles of violence and intimidations? Because you have an interesting scene with a freshman uh, hazing scenario. And were you yourself ever the victim of hazing rituals? Yes. Um, at my old school, there's there were certain days and even one entire week devoted uh, to basically the seniors um, attacking the, the lower graders. Um, I heard they've been cracking down on that lately, but from my own experience, some of it was pretty bad. As you point out, this becomes a cycle. Once, once you've been the victim, you're, you're happy to become the oppressor. Yes, uh, that's, that's something I noticed firsthand when I was there. I, I actually tried to complain, and I, wanted, I, I went to the administration. I wanted to do something about it, but I actually got flack from my peers, and they said, why are you doing this? Why are you trying to stop it? I said, do you like having plastic bags shoved over your head? Uh, and they said, no, but I want to do it to other people when I get to be a senior. And that was, that was really eye-opening for me. Uh, I never th- ever once thought of it like that. But a lot of people do. It, 
we should just uh, the idea is that we should just put up with it now so that we could do it to other people when we grow up. And I think that that not only applies to hazing, that also applies to uh, the adult-child relationship in general. Uh, it may be bad now, but in a few years, we'll be on top and we'll be the ones to do it to other people, and that'll be fun. And I think that's terrible. Did, did you have a good relationship with your parents? I mean, were, did you get along with your, your dad and mom? I'm, were, were there problems in, in that regard? Just even just typical teenage problems. Uh, as you might imagine... Um, they viewed me as a rebellious spirit. Uh, they thought that I was being fresh or something. Uh, it, it was it was it was not always a perfect relationship. Um, they're 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 a lot more uh, toler tolerant now. Uh, I think because I think I've proved myself. But back then, back then, before I wrote my book, uh, no, my situation at home wasn't very happy either. And you used the the process of writing a novel to prove yourself that that. Even though you didn't fit in, you were worthy of respect. Yes, yes. Uh, when when you write a book, I'd like to think that people will judge the author by the quality of their work and not by their age. Um, I don't want to have any advantage because I'm uh, because I'm younger. I don't want to have any people to be overly critical because I'm younger. I just want them to read it and judge it for themselves. And I think that the work is good. Like I said, I am my own harshest critic. Um, did, well, you you said you were your own harshest critic. Did you show this to have you showed this to your peers at school, and what have they told you? Everyone I've showed it to uh, has really liked it. How yeah. about you? how about your teachers? I I mean, you have a a, a a vision of teachers that even I found very shocking. There's one point where a teacher just expresses no care or interest in what the students actually are learning. It's just really. A, that kind of, as you say, the worst of all possible worlds. Every teacher portrayed in my story is based on a real teacher that I have known in real life. And these are teachers I have usually had. And so there's a lot of basis for that in reality, and that's how I saw these individuals. But at the same time, uh, I recognize that some teachers are worse than others, some teachers are better than others. And like I said, I was only portraying the worst of the teachers I knew. As for teachers that I showed it to, I usually only show it to English teachers uh, because I think that all of them actually respect it from a literary perspective. And they realize that uh, the work that went into it and they realize that it's, uh, it's, it's a good book. Um, they, and so since they appreciate it from that perspective, they never really complain about how I portray the teachers themselves, at least not to me. And, and so you didn't show it to your gym teacher? No, no, definitely not. <laughs> now, uh, are you working on a new book? Um, the prequel to uh, Truancy has already actually been written. I'm not allowed to talk about that much yet because uh, there, no deal has been signed yet, but I actually already wrote the second book in the series. And this goes back to before this book? Yes. I, and... I. I have you thought about pursuing other kinds of fiction, either more realistic fiction or um, pure science fiction, or going back to your first love fantasy? I've got a I've got a lot of ideas written down, uh, stored away. Um, first, I want to finish writing the entire story for Truancy. Uh, the story's not done yet. Like I said, I can't tell too much about that. But uh, once I'm done with Truancy, yeah, there's a lot of old ideas I'd like to revisit. Um, I don't know which one I would go with first, but there are definitely some fantasy stories in there. Uh, I, I want to ask you, you're 17 now. 
I want you to cast yourself ahead into a time when you're 47 years old. It's 30 years in the future. You're looking back at the 17-year-old kid who wrote this novel. What do you think you'll, how do you think you'll view this novel then? Uh, I hope I'll still like it. <laughs> um, but something I'm always mindful of is that students, or at least uh, me as a student, ten, uh, I as a student tend to see school differently than when I'm not actually in school. Even during the summer, when I've had just a month or two off, um, I start to dislike it less. Only when I'm really there every single day do I really, really have a problem with it. And that's something that I wanted to capture, and that's why I was also urgent in doing, uh, in writing truancy while I was still at school. Because I, I feel that once I graduate or once I'm out of college, away from education, I might not hate it anymore. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I hope that I still relate to it when I'm older. But I, that's, why, that's one of the reasons why I'm getting, uh, that's why I'm uh, rushing to finish it while I'm still in school. We've been speaking with Isamu Fukui. He's the 17-year-old senior at Stuyvesant High School in New York. His first novel is A Truancy. Thank you for speaking with me, Isamu. My pleasure. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.